You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I'd love to open up to Ephesians chapter 5, and um, we are going to start a brand new series uh, this week, um, because typically we're going through whole books of the Bible left to right. We just got done with Genesis. And we're going to do a series this July for the next couple of weeks called The Holy Spirit, God's Personal Presence and Power to Witness to the Ends of the Earth. And, um, and so there's going to be a lot of passages today for the next couple of weeks, four, four weeks, including this one, um, looking at the topic of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we're going to be rooted today in, in Ephesians um, chapter 5. Uh, I'm a sucker for um, before and after photos, whether it's on Instagram or on Facebook. There's something inspiring to me. Uh, about David Goggins. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy before, but David Goggins was like 200 pounds overweight. I think he lost like 100 pounds in six months to do this like death week over at the Navy SEALs thing. He did three Navy SEAL trainings in one year one time, which is kind of a record. And so there's a picture of David there uh, before and after. And there's just something about the picture that tells the story, right? Picture tells a thousand words. And when you see the before and after, it's proof. I mean, there's one thing about theory. There's one thing about philosophy. There's another thing about story. And just to see it from beginning to end, what was impossible made possible. There's something inspiring about that. Um, uh, we got into this thing, me and Kyra back in the day, like we don't even really watch TV anymore, but reality TV shows like House Hunters on HDTV, me and Kyra just kind of binge watch those over and over again. And there's something cool about it. Like I don't want to be there to sand the wall or like, you know, lay down the carpet. I just want to see the result. Like it's so cool, you know? And so uh, I relate to this because I feel like my house a lot of time looks more like the top than the bottom does. Um, but there's something about, man, I just feel like I'm living in this place and it just would be impossible for my house to get put together. But boom, like, you know, vision is a beautiful thing to like see a picture of like, whoa, look at what's, what's possible. And so the connection of what is seeing what could be and seeing that happen drastically and dramatically in the form of a testimony is just a really powerful thing. The last one that I had up there was, um, oh, I had a biggest loser one. So we've seen a, a show this like, like this and when we see like health kind of like body, soul, spirit kind of. Take, take on in, in a person's life. And then lastly, I was thinking about this in terms of uh, Miracle Hill. If you guys have ever been to Miracle Hill, um, there's a group called Overcomers. And uh, we were invited one time to uh, host the banquet, I think, and be a part of that. And there's just no dry eye to hear. I mean, there's just, you, you have to be without a pulse to sit here and listen to somebody come up out of addiction to literally see that physical uh, slavery get released, that bondage get released uh, by the power of Jesus and to be reminded we were not made to be ruled over by sin. We were made to have Jesus rule over sin in our lives, and we were made to rule and reign with him. And so uh, a lot of times it is when we're in that left side of the picture that we couldn't imagine the right side. We just couldn't imagine that because it just doesn't really make sense to us. Uh, but uh, the Spirit comes to us today to, to tell us that he's come to, to make impossible things possible. And so um, the definition that I want to work with for the next couple of weeks about the Holy Spirit is, is up here. It, it just says... Um, you looking through Genesis to Revelation, the Holy Spirit is on every page, and, and the Holy Spirit is God's, this is what I wrote down, personal presence. And so the Spirit of God is not Luke Skywalker in the Force. He is not an impersonal uh, guru thing that I can pick people up and move them or something like that. Maybe the Holy Spirit will pick me up and move me, I don't know, but he's not a, a, a force or a chi that I control. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is, is a he, not an it. And then I put down that the Holy Spirit is personal, like, like he has a relationship with us. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't, I, I say, doesn't put us in trances, but he dances with us. He speaks to us. He nudges us. He corrects us. He comforts us. There's a relationship, and he doesn't come and then leave, but lives with us. The Holy Spirit treats us as a house, not a hotel. He dwells with us, and so we, we don't lose his spirit. 
the way that David or something talks about it in the Old Testament, that the Holy Spirit comes to live. And, and now, how you treat the person you cohabitate with, how, how, if you talk to people, if you're, you know, two beds in one house in a marriage, it doesn't mean just because you live with somebody that you have a relationship necessarily or a very healthy one per se, but that doesn't change the fact that he is living to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a correspondence with us. And then lastly, that it's power. And so it's not just this idea of like the Spirit's going to tell you what to do, but the, the Spirit is actually going to make what was impossible possible. That the Holy Spirit has come to, to show you the way, but then to empower your steps on the way, because the reality is the Christian life is not just hard, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. The words of Jesus come before us, and they go out in front of us, and they basically tell us to do things we can't do. And that's essentially what's going on with our relationship with Jesus. Jesus comes to tell us, the Sermon on the Mount, to go and forgive people, and that's impossible without the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is not just presence, he's not just personal, but he's also power, and he's power to witness to the ends of of the earth. And so the whole question that I'd love to ask us about as we go on the next couple of weeks is what is your relationship like with the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit in your life? So the way that we um, come to understand the identity of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does um, in the Bible is through before and after portraits. Uh, the Holy Spirit can't be seen and he can't be put in a box. The Holy Spirit blows wherever it wants to go. And so the way that the scriptures try and explain to us the Holy Spirit is the, the Scriptures love to show us what the Holy Spirit was like, or excuse me, the, Holy, the, the Scriptures wanted to show us what reality was like before the Holy Spirit got there. That's what the Scripture loves to do, is to show you what's infertile, what's barren, what's impossible, what's dead, and then when the Holy Spirit get, gets, gets there, then all of a sudden we understand what the Holy, who's, who's been in our midst. Right? So that's the idea. The before and after photo shows us the identity and the purpose of the Spirit. So here, here's just, we're just going to run through a couple passages to get us going. Genesis 1 says this, and again, the main passage is Ephesians 5. It says, In the beginning, page 1 of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Did you catch where the Spirit, where's the first mention of the Holy Spirit? Very first page of the Bible, very first verse, is that there is a reality before the Holy Spirit acts, and that reality is formless and void. The, the Hebrew idiom is tohu vavohu, wild and waste. Unformed, lots of substance, lots of potential, but can't organize itself, can't create beauty, can't create purpose and alignment. And so the spirit, before it's there, or before it acts, is, is you know, the, the, the terrain is tohu vavohu, it's formless and void, and then it becomes filmed and formed. And so the Holy Spirit is, is the only reason why we have trees, why we have clouds, why we have the heavens, why we have humanity, why we have animals, that the Holy Spirit's handiwork is written all over creation, uh, all over creation from the very beginning of time, because we don't see the Spirit, but he gets credit. It is his handiwork. All right, we got Genesis 41, 37, that the plan seemed good to Pharaoh, to all his officials, so that Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, Joseph, of whom the Spirit of God lives? So beforehand, you know, you're, if you ever read the Bible in your Genesis 36, you're like, what's going on? This guy Judah, who's Joseph's brother, is just like having sex with his daughter-in-law and doing all this crazy stuff and killing his brother. And you're like, why, why, why such a detour? And, and here's the detour. This is why. Because the Spirit loves to show before and after pictures. It loves to show you what Joseph would have been like without the Holy Spirit. And so what we need to understand about the story of Joseph is to be like the way that Joseph is, is not to copy his behavior, but to trust in the one that Joseph trusts. And so what's going on is if you skip 36, you go straight to 37, you think that Joseph did it, but it's trying to tell you Joseph didn't do any of that. It was always the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is what offers us wisdom. If you have any wisdom, 
It's coming from the Spirit of God. Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of boast-half skills, numb-chup skills, you know, skills that girls like guys with six skills. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Didn't mean to be irreverent uh, there in uh, Exodus 31. But this guy, Bezalel, is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the first mention of anyone being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the after effect, the consequence after picture, is he's filled with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of skills. So it's not just that the Holy Spirit comes on somebody to speak in tongues and to prophesy. The Holy Spirit comes on people to do all of the good things in life. The Holy Spirit is here to organize and to categorize and to build and to admonish and exhort and to have strong and to be strong and to be tender and to care. And he's so competent in building. And so we just don't give the Holy Spirit enough credit for all that he does. He is not just, he is not just a, you know, a byproduct of life. He is the author of life. He's the thing that makes anything good and right and true and beautiful. All right, continue on. Luke chapter 1. The angel appears to Mary. The Holy Spirit comes on you, and the power of the Most High overshadows Mary. So the Holy One will be born, and he will become the Son of God. The womb was empty because she was a virgin until the Spirit came. Every womb is barren until the Spirit. Every womb that ever has life in it has been touched and breathed on by the Numa, New Testament, or Ruah, Old Testament, Spirit of God. There is no life on this place without the Spirit. Keeping on, verse 16, and this is where it kind of gets important in terms of 2021. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love and am well pleased. What is the before and after picture of the Holy Spirit on Jesus at his baptism? is that for 30 years, Jesus was perfect, he was sinless, he was wise, he knew the scriptures, but he did no ministry because the Holy Spirit was not on him. What is the effect of the Holy Spirit? A person without the Holy Spirit can do no ministry. Even the best perfect one can't do ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the wisdom of God in Philippians, that Jesus decided to empty himself of that kind of a divinity. He limited himself in that role to show how important the Holy Spirit is. Don't try and do ministry without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that can bring about the kingdom of heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is not just God's personal presence to witness, but it's God's personal presence really for all of real life, real order, and real beauty. And so anyone that has ever had wisdom, anyone that has ever had purity, anyone that's ever had goodness or self-control or fruit or any of these types of things, those things are all only there because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the question I'd want to ask us over the next couple of weeks is simply this question. What is your relationship like in the Holy Spirit? You know, like, uh, you, you know, me and Kyrie, you know, we've been married since 2000 and, uh, 2005. And there's all kinds of different types and roles and hats that we wear in, in the relationship. We sat down and made a budget last week. That was awesome. We sat down and had a budget. And we have conversations about where we're going to move. And we have all different types of highs and lows and maturing in our relationship. But that thing is a relationship. And there's a choice to be made about the way that you uh, connect and relate to the person that's living with you. And so this is the reality. The Holy Spirit lives in us. But there is an opportunity, not a foregone conclusion, that we'll have any kind of relationship with him. What is your relationship like with the Holy Spirit? A lot of times I think we think of the relationship with the Holy Spirit kind of like a kidney. Like, I'm not really sure what he does, per se. I don't, couldn't you know, have a quiz on my spleen. I hope it's doing good but I don't have any kind of relationship. And, and, and there's this 
there's this occupancy of the Holy Spirit that Paul and all the New Testament writers talk about, that we have this relationship with him. And the question will not be, will we have more of the Holy Spirit? Because the truth is, we have all of the Holy Spirit. And every Christian, the minute that they're born again, is indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The question is not, will we have the Holy Spirit? It's, will the Holy Spirit have us? How much of the Holy Spirit will be given to, or how much of us will be given to the Holy Spirit? So, uh, here's, here's what I think, if Paul were to write our Facebook status. What is your Facebook relationship? How would you define your relationship with the Holy Spirit? The way that Paul, I think, talks about it in Ephesians 5, which is where maybe you're at is this quote from him, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul talks about in terms of relationship. Be careful, it says in Ephesians 5, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So, your notifications come on your phone when you get up in the morning and ding, 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 the news and the text messages, it's like all these things are coming at you. And the day woke up before you. Did you ever notice that? Like you wake up and the day's already going. It's already going. There's things already happening. There's all these problems that are happening. And behind that, there's this engine of evil. There is powers and principalities and all these things that are coming at you. And, and to navigate those things requires not just conventional wisdom, but holy wisdom, you know, spirit-filled, powerful wisdom. And so there's this need of us to understand what the will of God, because the will of God, because God, because spirit is a person, he's not a thing, and he lives with us. And so, so Paul is saying that we want to have this relationship of being filled with the spirit. In fact, he says in verse 18, just like you couldn't expect to get drunk on Friday and still be drunk on Monday, I hope you're not, that'd be really bad, right? So if you were drunk on Friday and still drunk on Monday, that'd be crazy, right? So he's saying that the filling of the Holy Spirit isn't just a one-time thing, like Filled means present progressive. Continually, continually fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. It means surrender to him and yield to him and ask of him and require and, and ask of him and, and, and pursue him. Verse 19, and this is what it looks like. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The picture that I get of what Paul means by being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is, is active, engaged, and rigorous. It's less like a hot tub and more like hand-washing. Did you see that picture? The Holy Spirit is not just this thing where I say the right prayer and then everything just happens. The Holy Spirit is this, this person that lives in me and I have this relationship, and so I'm eager. Like, what's the song I'm going to sing? What's the word I'm going to bring? What's the Lord saying? Am I going to do this? Am I going to take a step out? And how do you want me to say this thing? And, and how does this arrange itself biblically? And, how does this, and so there's this rigorous hand-washing that I want to serve and give and, and reach and teach and admonish, and I, want to, and I want to continue to be actively filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Paul's vision for our relationship of what it looks like to dance with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we should follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially, especially prophecy. I remember one time I was in a Starbucks and there was a Latino family that was sitting next to me, a father and a son, and they were speaking Spanish. And then I saw um, uh, a girl and her mom and she was like talking. They were doing like a little mentoring thing and kind of going over the Bible together. And then I saw this uh, deaf couple sit down and they were just doing sign language and they were just laughing, like, you know what I mean? Uh, but communicating in all these ways and smacking their hands and going crazy and all this kind of stuff the way that I would do if I was speaking language too. And I just thought, man, love has a way of communicating. Love has a way of describing what it wants to say. And the Bible says that gifts and signs and wonders are the ways that God communicates to a deaf and blind world. And we should eagerly desire those things. 
Because if we long for people to be free and long for people to be set free from bondage, then we would do anything short of sin to try and get that message out to them and communicate them. And so Paul tells us that the heart of God is, is given to the gifts of God. And we need the gifts of the Spirit because the Christian life is not just hard, it's impossible. And we need his sign language. We need gifts of the Spirit. And so it's saying, ask for those things. All right, verse 9 in, in Matthew or in Luke chapter 11, this is Jesus talking about our relationship with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled? Jesus says this, so I ask you, or I say to you, ask and it will be given. This is Sermon on the Mount stuff. To you, seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which one of your fathers, says Jesus, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the greatest gift? The gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, Jesus says, that we should ask of the Holy Spirit. And so what are they saying? Like, are we saying, you know, the Holy Spirit, like, goes away if we don't want him, or he doesn't live with us anymore, there's levels to this, because I'm a Jedi, because now I'm in like a yellow belt with the Holy Spirit and a brown belt. It's like, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know? And I think it's, it's, it's a lot, when you look at the filling of the Holy Spirit, the misconception is means like, I guess I'm empty of the Holy Spirit, and that's not true. We're, we're always having the completeness of the Holy Spirit. It's not really so much the question of, will I have more of the Holy Spirit? It's, will the Holy Spirit have more of me? I remember um, when I first got called to do um, youth ministry for my, for my first job. Uh, we had a youth group, and I guess it started off, it was like 20, 25 people, and um, I remember that somebody had just given me um, an album, a Jesus Culture album called Come Away With Me. Come Away. And uh, it had Kim Walker Smith and Chris Kalal and all this stuff, and I just remember this, like, 80-minute CD, and I just, like, there's something about it more than just the song that, like, I just couldn't get enough of it. I mean, I just... It just spoke to me, and it was helping me say things that I wanted to say or whatever, and it was very simple lyrics. It was like this garage band type of sounding, revival type of music, and it was just all about, you know, the presence of God. I don't know what else to say. They were all kind of in high school, and I remember it was kind of like a garage band sound kind of thing, and there was just this desperation, this hunger for the Holy Spirit. And I just remember listening to it on my own. I would run to it and so forth, my little AirPods, and, and I remember um, it, it, just, it just spoke to me in a deeper way, and I don't know, you know, it's hard to... Describe it have to be ex- ex- experience, I think, sometimes. But there was this thing where, like, it was almost a-, a change in my heart to where when I became a Christian, I loved being in church. I've always loved being in church. I've never been forced to put on khakis or wear some shirt that I didn't want to wear. Apparently, that's the thing that happens. It's never been my thing. I've always wanted to be to church. I want to sit in the front row and that sort of thing. And I always love the presence of being in church. But there was something about that time in my life that I believe the Lord, not just the album, introduced me to um, a hunger for the presence of just the Holy Spirit. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And it, it, it became this thing of like, it used to be like, well, if church was entertaining enough, or if I had enough friends, or if everything went the right way, or if things were on the top, and it just turned from like the presence of people into like what I care most about is the presence of Jesus. What I care most about is my reputation before Jesus. What it came most about was like, I love church, but I wanted that secret time with him. It wasn't about me living for the church hour, it was me living for any hour with him. And that, that reflected, I mean, that only had to overflow. That's the only way I can explain it. You know, it's like, it became like, I know I always had the Holy Spirit for me, but the Holy Spirit almost like filled me up for others. And so it was like all the kids that I didn't used to want to talk to in youth group, I would be more passionate about talking to them because God would give me his heart for them and so forth. And I'd go and pursue them in that way. And so, and that overflowed and that tended to generate, you know, within the youth group. And so I remember you know, we wouldn't play a ton of Chubby Bunny or whatever, but there was an eagerness and a passion and a zeal for the Holy Spirit um, in that time. 
And so here's, here's where it comes down to for me. If you think it's just sort of a strange thing, and this, this, so wonder where you're at with all this and what your relationship is with the Holy Spirit, with the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. It's like, if the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence, if it's power for the Christian life, if it literally, if he, his presence, brings foolishness to wisdom, dead things to life, dry things to refreshing, and lost things to become found, if the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence for power to witness to the ends of the earth, then why don't we ask for him if Jesus told us to ask? That's a good question. Like, why don't we ask for him? Why do we ignore him? Why do we resist him? And I think that the reason why that is is because the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit. The Bible says that there are many spirits and there's no such thing as being spiritual and non-spiritual. The reality is we're all spiritual beings. We are all spiritual in our nature. And so if it's Christmas spirit or school spirit, professionalism, excellence, American spirit, like we are spiritual people and we experience spiritual things on football fields. We experience spiritual things in rock concerts and YouTube concerts. Like we're experiencing spiritual things. And so the reality is, is that I think that the reason why people are resisting is because, is because we understand that the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit. First John says it this way, Dear friends, do not believe that every, do not believe every spirit, this is what First John says, but test the spirits. This is the hard part, test the spirits, to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Did you know? It's like, there, a lot of people would love to speak on God's behalf. That's a great calling card, like a pretty good trump card to walk into a conversation and be like, I'm speaking for God. It's like, it's not hard for us to go and find people that would love to speak for God and say that the spirit that they're talking is the Holy Spirit, but they're not. This is very common to be careful about prophecy, to be careful about the spirits because this Holy Spirit is not the only spirit there is. Every spirit, this is what he goes on to say, to test the spirits, that, is, uh, that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come from the flesh, come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. You ever just go to somebody and it's like, hey, just tell me what to do, and then they give you some wide open thing that doesn't really like give you any sort of narrowness exactly what they mean, right? So like first John, it's like you want more than that because there's so many instances, but I think that's exactly the point is, is that there's so many things in life. The days are evil and wisdom is perpetually needed. We are so needy of, of wisdom Okay, and, the, and so it's saying that in all of these different categories, that all of the spirits that we ever engage with, any of the kind of spirits of the age and so forth, they all have to answer to no less than all of the Hebrew and all of the Greek that comes to us in the scriptures. It's saying that basically the test point is everything in the Bible. If you want to be able to test the spirit, you need to know the character and nature of God and be able to tell the difference because there are many spirits in this place. There's only one Holy Spirit, and that spirit loves Jesus and looks like Jesus, and sends people out on the mission of Jesus, and that's how you know who the Holy Spirit is. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now already is in the world. And so this is the danger, and the problem, really, with life in the Holy Spirit, is that asking for the Spirit is not just a suggestion, it's a command, and actually, it just becomes uh, a required impossible to live without the Holy Spirit. In other words, like, Christianity without asking for the Spirit's help is just foolishness, right? So it's like, so asking for the Holy Spirit 
is not the hardest part. The, probably the most particular part is asking for the Spirit while we test the spirits that we ask on, right? That's the hard part. It's the testing of the Spirit. It's like I have seen um, that in different stages and phases of Christian life, potentially some of the time that when, when we are pursuing the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us or what the Holy Spirit is doing in and around us, that sometimes that can become deviation from the Scriptures rather than drawing us towards it. And so it becomes a, a level of, I've already read the Bible enough, I have that memorized, so I don't need to read it anymore. I just need to listen to what the Spirit says. And that's just not what the Spirit does. The Spirit loves the Greek and the Hebrew. The Spirit loves exegetical commentaries. The Spirit loves that. And so the question is not, are we spiritual? The question is, which Spirit are we following? And the Holy Spirit brings us to the Bible all the time, loves the Bible, loves it, and wants us to know the truth because the Spirit leads us to all truth. The Spirit loves the church. The Spirit wants people in church and not just anonymous in church, but named and known in church. And so sometimes people say, well, I don't really, I just kind of don't, I just flow and I follow and I kind of go here and I go there and I just follow by the Spirit, but I don't commit and root down. I don't get known. I don't open up my life. I don't share my weaknesses. I just kind of move in and out. And that's just not what we see in the Scriptures. The Spirit is drawing us continually to the church. The Spirit loves the church. The Spirit is leading us, should be leading us on the front lines and the frontiers of the lost. Like, the Spirit of God uh, should not cause us to go to church more and just be in the building. The Spirit of God weeps for the lost and pursues, just like He's pursued any of us or all of us, He's pursuing the people that are outside the four walls. And so Spirit-filled life means evangelism. Spirit-filled life means the things that happen outside of the worship service, probably even more so than inside the worship, worship service. And so then here's kind of what happens is that you have, have this divide. Have you seen some of this? And so what happens is, is that when we ask for the Spirit, without testing the Spirit, we get craziness. And so there's a whole situation of malpractice, unfortunately, and misrepresentation of the character of God because we're asking for the Spirit, but we, we, we put the testing at the door because it's too hard and too tenuous and too problematic to have to deal with having to test. I just go for it. I green light it, and there's craziness. Then there's people that they, they test the spirits, but they, for whatever reason, either pride or hurt or pain, they stop asking. And there's nothing in Scripture that would ever suggest that anybody that's a Christian can test the spirits and criticize others in what they're doing in the Spirit and not ask. The prerequisite for becoming a Christian is to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is to see His nature and His character revealed. And so there's this, there's this distance of, of, maybe you would agree with me, maybe not, this is just my personal commentary, of people that are sick of powerless churches. Let's just do something. Let's just stop talking about something and do it. And we'd rather make mistakes and do something, right? So it's the test, the askers are sick of testing, Right? And then you've got people over here that are hurt and burned and they're just, they can't, all they see is craziness and they're like, I, I, I'm not doing any of that. And so we end up powerless. And there's no, there's all intellectual. It's just, it all becomes, there's nothing experiential. And you know what? All the spirits that are in Haywood Mall and in the, the market economy that we live in and the intellectual and all that kind of, and, 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 and business, you know, spirits, spirits are experiential. And our generation is being discipled by something for sure. And when we're over here and we only have thoughts, but we have no experience, we have no, every single page of the Bible is, is three-dimensional experience. You cannot read the Bible and not see three-dimensional experiences. And so when you've got people over here looking at the crazies 
and they're not asking. And then you got people over here that are just asking, but they stop testing and they look at powerlessness. And I'll tell you who loses every time is the lost and the young. Because you know what we're not talking about when we do our little debates about like, well, we should have more spirit, more word. We're not talking about people getting saved. We're not talking about people getting lost. We're having a debate about worship styles. I want to have an hour-long worship set. I want to have flags. I want to be able to do this and do that. It's like the minute it becomes a conversation about out there, the conversation stops. Because it's not really about neighbors. It's about me. I want this kind of a teaching. I want this kind of exegetical. This, and so we debate back and forth. You know who always loses when the church is divided? The lost, the dying world. You get in front of a person that's, you know, relational struggles and emotional turmoils and all that stuff. And you know what they don't care about? How long your worship service is. You know what they care about and need? The liberty and liberation of Jesus Christ, the authority of Jesus Christ. They need a spirit-filled Christian. And so you know what it is? It's like, here's the, diff- here's the issue, is that the reason why we have people that test and don't ask and we have people that ask and don't test is because wisdom is always harder than extremism. Wisdom always requires more maturity than extremism. I've got to walk in that balance of spirit and truth so I can be filled with the spirit. But here's the thing, like, Nobody's angry, you know, at Billy Graham, right? This is the, this is the thing. I had a guy uh, named uh, George that I met at, um, at a Jesus Culture conference. And George is uh, 6'2", he's from Haiti, and he's the best-looking guy I've ever met. And he's just so, such a good-looking guy. Like, it's hard not to just smell more when you're around him. And uh, he's not single anymore, ladies, so he was at the, that time, and I was like, man, that is an answer. That's a, that's a walking prayer answer right there, whoever that is. Okay. He has since adopted, like, nine kids. He uh, has his law degree. I don't know if he practices anymore. He speaks in tongues, gets up at four in the morning and worships every morning, speaks in tongues, knows the Bible frontward to back and can't talk. You ever meet somebody that just can't stop quoting Scripture, relevant Scripture, not just to, like, show you what they know, but just boom, 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 they just machine gun. And we're on this mission trip, and you know what? It's like there's people on this mission trip that are real spirit people. They love George. But you know what else? The people over here that love the word, they love them too. Because nobody really dislikes in Christianity like a spirit-filled Christian. Who in here doesn't want somebody that's like full of zeal and passion and love for people and just can't wait to like serve and be humble and like quotes the scriptures and sees salvations and sees people healed? You know what people are not sick of? Real spirit-filled people. And you know why it's rare? Because it's harder to be wise than to be extreme. It's harder to wrestle with that thing and be filled with it. It's not a hot tub. It's, it's rigorous. I want to be most encouraging. I want to serve the most. I want to see the most healing. I want to be about the loss. I don't want to be about some identity politic within the church to stake out my claim and demand what I... It's like, I'm about what Jesus is about. And so this is the reality. There's many spirits, but the, the, the true Holy Spirit is making us with Jesus, like Jesus, and for Jesus. With Jesus, like Jesus, for Jesus. And if you're more... And sometimes it's just personality, you know? Like, you're more scientific and methodical and you're a word person. It's like, okay, if that's a living and active word, then we should see it by... By, the lost should be able to tell me about your spirit-filledness and about what you know about the word. If you know the word, then the lost should tell me about what you know about the word. If you're really full of the spirit, I should be able to interview a lost person in front of you and they'll tell me if you're full of the spirit. Because the spirit of Jesus is not just whatever flies. It's not just an invitation. The spirit of Jesus is there to ask for the spirit and test of the spirits. And so I think just as a, a framework, as we, as we kind of get into this um, study in the next couple weeks, is, is that there just is no excuse for askless Christians, for powerless Christians. I don't care how crazy that person is or your experience is or how much you've been burned or how much you've burned somebody else, you can't stop asking for the Holy Spirit because the Christian life is impossible. So that's not on the table. 
We cannot be critics without asking for the Spirit. And the best way to help uh, health, the lost and the young, is to practice with health instead of just criticize unhealth. It's, it, the best way to, to, to create health is to practice it, not correct the opposite. Same thing over, over here is that, is that if we're going to be testing the spirits, uh, we can't just be a critic. We have to be asking, and, and vice versa. If we're asking for the spirit, the second we ask for the spirit, we just signed up for some homework. <laughs> the minute that you said in a conference, hey, I want more of your spirit, you also signed up for asking. You signed up for Bible study. You signed up for accountability partnership. You signed up for community. You signed up for church. You signed up for being the biggest servant and the greatest confessed sinner. That's what you just signed up for when we asked to be filled with the spirit. And so we get critical, on the re- and, and it, but it doesn't, it's, not, it, it's not nonsensical. It makes sense to us if you think about it because walking and being full of the Spirit is an act of wisdom, not extremism. So Ephesians 5, this is the passage. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. You notice that being full of the Spirit is not an excuse not to have character. Oh, I have the Spirit, and so now I don't have to be punctual. I don't have to be honest. I don't have to have integrity. I don't have to be vulnerable. Like, no, it's none of those things. Being filled with the Spirit should make you more skilled you should, you should be like Joseph with Pharaoh, where the Pharaoh goes, look at this dude killing it on his TPS reports. How is he doing that? Oh, the Spirit of God. Like, the Spirit of God shouldn't make anyone more lazy. The Spirit of God should make somebody diligent. That's what the Spirit, this is, this is the Spirit of God, the one that made the world. Remember, the solar system? He's pretty competent, you know? So it shouldn't be an excuse for work ethic or whatever it is that we're doing, right? Wise. Wise. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. They're coming in. Your notifications are already dinging you before you wake up. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is what the Spirit is doing. He's bringing you towards church, not away from it, towards the Bible, not away from it, towards the lost, and not away from it. And if our lives are drifting away from any of those three things, then it's not the Holy Spirit. Because this is what his reputation is, has been from the beginning. It's the will of Jesus to be with him and like him and for him. So don't get drunk on wine, says Paul. That leads to debauchery. Instead, flip that metaphor over. Be filled with the Spirit. Be continually influenced by what he wants. What do you want, Spirit? What are you doing? Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs. So again, it's not a hot tub. Like that. You see what just happened is it put him on action mode, not on passive mode. What's the word I'm going to bring? You know, we're going to say amen in a minute. Who am I going to talk to? How am I going to encourage? How am I going to make, make somebody else's life better? How am I going to portray Jesus? How am I going to communicate with the right sign language? How am I going to use the gift that I have to give it away? You see, this is not a hot tub. Like the Holy Spirit is this call into activation, into power, and into the presence of Jesus. So, so it's like he's saying, so if you're saying, I want to be asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then begin talking, begin being active. Psalms and hymns and songs and spiritual songs, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we walk into Tohovohu all the time. You know, when we walk into church, those are the guys that have served, or those are the guys that served in the kids' ministry downstairs, you walk into a, a formless and void space. That, that space could be filled with with um, encouragement, it could be filled with joy, it could be filled with prayer, it could be filled with flippancy or sarcasm. These are blank canvases that we walk into when we go into our workplaces. And the invitation here is to fill that place up, to be filled with the Spirit and decide on purpose, not on accident, to fill that place up with songs and spiritual psalms and things that build up and, and correct and endorse and admonish and all these types of things. That is what it looks like to be full of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, this is just a couple of, uh, of verses that I want to read from Jesus as, as we kind of turn, turn the corner here. Again, the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence and power to witness to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says that of all the gifts that we could ask for, we should ask for the Holy Spirit. This is the thing that the Father wants to give the most because the Holy Spirit 
is personal presence and power to witness. The Christian life is not just hard. It is impossible with the Holy Spirit. And so we need to ask. Ask and test. But we cannot stop asking because we need the Holy Spirit to do what we're doing. And that's, that is an option. There, there's a ways to resist, not to receive. So, so just a couple passages to remind us. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is a helper and he's sent by the Father. And the Spirit teaches us all things and brings it to remembrance that I have said to you. So what's going on is you walk out in the world and instantly there's notifications coming your way. There's all these messages, all these scriptures, all these things. And the Holy Spirit, it says, personally takes you and guides you towards the truth that you need. This is how you know you've been visited by the Holy Spirit. I had a, a pastor friend who, when he was in college, he was an RA. And it was like 11 o'clock and you're supposed to go through the hallways and do lights out. And so he walked down this hallway and this beautiful girl comes out of the room She's so drunk, and she says, sleep with me tonight. And so this guy is in college, undergraduate. He's going to go into seminary and so forth. And so he hears the Spirit say, 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. He shut the door and ran away, didn't even say a word to her. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. That's what the Spirit is doing, is that there's so much things going on. How many of you guys have too much to do and too much to think about? And, you know, is this too much? Or is it, it's like, should I be more passive or more aggressive on this thing. It's like wisdom is not just left or right. It's tension. It's, it's, it's both. It's a time to laugh and a time to dance and a time to cry. So wisdom is not just extremism. So I need the Spirit to show me the right truth at the right time. And so the Spirit of God will remind us of that in that time period. And so the Spirit is a helper in that way. He reminds us of the truth. When the helper comes whom I am sent to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, it will bear witness about me. In the 30 and the 60, 90 days, as I follow the Spirit and I listen to Him, is it making me look like Jesus? Am I bearing witness to Jesus? It is power to do so, is what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit is actually a, a beneficial trade-off. Like, you'd rather not have Jesus in the flesh. This is what he says in John chapter 16. You'd rather not have Jesus and have the Holy Spirit than vice versa. That's pretty strong. I tell you the truth. For the first 30 years of my life, I did no ministry without the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you one thing. You'd rather have me seated at the right hand of the Father and the Spirit down here than vice versa. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he will guide you to all truth. And so this is, the, this is that tenuous line. There's no such thing as asking without testing. There's no testing without asking. And he blows on his disciples in John 20. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and he says, receive it. And the, and the invitation there is, to, is, as we ask, we could either receive or resist. And this is a daily process. The days are evil. Don't be unwise, but to be wise, to be full of the Spirit. This is what some of the things that the Bible explains in terms of how you might be relating to the Holy Spirit right now. This is what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that we could lie to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5. There is ways that, of course, the Spirit knows all things, but He wants us to bring all of ourself to Him. To be filled with the Spirit means to completely open up your life and share everything, all the feelings you have, the resentment, the anger. He'd rather have you yelling at him than being silent with him, right? So the Holy Spirit has a relationship with you. What is that relationship? Do you tell the truth to him, or do you conceal? Acts chapter 5. You could resist the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 7. You could, you could, he could tell you to, and guide you towards something, and you could, you, could, you could resist it, is what it's saying in terms of the relationship. Acts chapter 7. Ephesians 4 says we could grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a personality. He's not a Luke Skywalker force. He has a will and a desire, and he could be grieved. The Holy Spirit could be blasphemed in Matthew 12. You could say that you did something that the Holy Spirit did, or you could say that the Holy Spirit did something that you just did on your own. You could blasphememe him, and that would not be what we'd want to do. There's this relationship. He comforts us in Acts 9. We have this relationship with the Spirit. 
He guides us and directs. We are not alone. We are every choice that we have. The Spirit can direct us. and We can ask for his direction. It will always be the best. He could transform us or we could resist that transformation in 2 Corinthians. He could empower us or we could live powerlessness, powerless, trying to do what Jesus told us to do without him. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians, Jude 20. He appoints leaders of the church. As we go about our days and try and figure out what to do next and, and who to empower and who not to, you can't look for perfect people to empower because people are not perfect. So then you need wisdom in that thing. And so the Holy Spirit actually assigns leaders that we need in church and in families and everything else. He tells you who to call on and empower. He confirms God's words with miraculous gifts. I need more miracles in my life. I don't know about you, Hebrews 2. He sanctifies imperfect efforts. Like you can put something before him and you gave it the money to the homeless person and you don't know what they're going to do with it, but you just did it. And you did it in faith and it's imperfect, but he makes it perfect even if it was necessarily, let's say, the wrong thing to do or didn't work out in the end. He makes imperfect gifts perfect. He knits us together in fellowship. If there's division and, 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 and gossip and slander that goes on to the church, that is impossible to fix without the Holy Spirit. The unity of a church is not the programming, organizational structure of a church. It is the yieldedness of the Spirit. As I yield to the Spirit, I become a person ready for unity. And until I yield, we will always be divided in church. Because at that place where I'm yielded to the Holy Spirit is where I'm empowered to love you the way that Christ has loved me. Without that, I have no power for unity. We will have no, we'll be in meetings for days and days and days and arguing and trying to, I don't know if you've ever been in these debate meetings and you talk about stuff and it never does anything because you need power. You need the Holy Spirit for unity. He communicates the Father's love to us in a ways that we can understand. He gives us boldness for ministry. He infuses Christian life with joy. I don't know if you, but we just cannot afford to live down here without joy. And so the thing that we need, that we desperately need more than any other gift is the Holy Spirit. I'll just close with this story. Um, I was thinking about this uh, one anecdote I thought of uh, J.R. Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis and this other guy, w Williamson. Charles Williams, thanks, Becca, helped me with that one on Wikipedia. Three little genius, I don't know, it's like, why are they all geniuses? Why are they all friends? That's just so crazy that they, Aslan and Gandalf are just having a conversation. And um, they'd meet in the pub and discuss their ideas. And then Charles Williams um, was rushed to the hospital, we read that we couldn't find the cause, uh, died prematurely, and it just left the trio down to two, two, like Pumbaa says. And so um, one guy dies, and, and so the two of them are continuing on the relationship. And C.S. Lewis said this one thing that I, I, I never forget, is that he said what happened is within the group, it wasn't just that the one guy died, it was that the relationship between that guy and the other people in that group also died with it. Like that person died and all of the jokes and inside things and all the stories and the kinds of things that like, you know, one person can bring up out of another person just by being there. That guy, when he died, all of that died too within that little fellowship of Trinity there. And so I think what's at stake there is, is that not only are we resisting the Holy Spirit, but in a sense, resisting the Holy Spirit is resisting a part of us. There's parts of our personality, our giftings, the scripture says, parts of our destiny, our future, our, our plans that we will we will die too if the Holy Spirit doesn't get received in our life. And that is what is at stake, not only for us, but for the world. And this world doesn't need more opinions or more debates or more plans. It needs the Holy Spirit and it needs much of it. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's this place of, it's not just as simple as just asking. It's asking with relationship involved. It's asking and testing. And, and it's not just, you know, the, the deal of just testing and just like being articulate about things. It's like going beyond what I know to be, smell, touch, taste, and feel into this mystic place, into this place that I'm looking to understand that the Spirit of God comes to live and dwell, and that if my life looks anything like Acts in Scripture, then I'm going to have to get up out of the boat a little bit and ask 
and figure it out and have room and margin for mistake because a Christian that is not asking and not testing is powerless and, 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 and needs desperately the Holy Spirit to follow and fulfill what God has called us to do. And so I just had a couple of notes for you and then a final question. This whole next couple of weeks is just about being asked to be filled with the Spirit. And so we're going to be looking at, in the next couple of weeks, asking for the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians, asking for the gifts of the Spirit, which is in Corinthians and Romans, and asking for the filling, or some people call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I want to teach around that as well, uh, which there are differing viewpoints, but just to get out the differing viewpoints and talk about what that might mean. And so asking for the Spirit this week and into the next couple of days is, is just, just that. It's asking. It's saying, I know there's a lot of crazy things. I know there's a lot of weird things, but I can't afford to live a powerless life. And I need the power of God to follow, you know, where you're leading me. And so, yes, I've had bad experiences. And yes, I've been hurt and hurt others. But the reality is, is that a Christian powerless life is an oxymoron. And I need to be filled with the Spirit. And I need Him. And I need to be in the hand washing, not the hot tub. I need to be engaged continually because the days are evil. The days are evil. But secondly, that as I ask that I'm testing so a couple questions I'm just asking is if you consider yourself a spirit-filled person, you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and you might um, hear him talk to you or prompt you or speak to you or tell you to do things and so forth, then the question I would be asking myself or I am asking myself as I am asking to be filled with the Spirit is where is it leading me? Is it leading me away or towards Scripture? Because that would not be the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a Christian that's memorized Scripture enough that they don't need to read it anymore. We need that daily, daily bread. Is that spirit drawing me towards or away from a community? You know, it's like the, the spirit of God wants to submit. It, I mean, it wants you to submit, and it wants you to be listening. One of the ways you could tell a person is being filled with the spirit is that they're humble, and they listen, and they want other people's advice, and they're interested in serving that's not on their terms, and they're interested in going out of their way and going for last. That's the fruit of what the spirit is, and if it's not doing that, then it's not the Holy Spirit. It might be some other. Does the Spirit draw me towards the lost? Do I weep for the lost? Am I more concerned about how I feel in my quiet times or on Sundays, or am I more concerned with Spirit fill me so that somebody would know you? That's really the question. Am I, am I trying to get filled with the Spirit for me or for others? And I believe it's both, but there definitely needs to be a conversation about how is the Spirit drawing me towards the least and the lost, even outside of my convenience. What is your relationship? And it's a question. What is your relationship like with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to close this today um, in a prayer. We're going to close in worship in a moment, and then we'll do communion just after that. But these are three just little sentence stems that I want to lead us today uh, as we close and the band comes forward. And I believe that um, the Holy Spirit is a dance, not a trance. And he is interested in having a relationship with you, to dance with him, to have ebb and flow, give and take, conversation, um, to have relationship. And so these are three prayers that might be helpful, and, I, and, and they're actually very, even old prayers and things that I think have been encouraging to the churches for a long, long time. But um, maybe you just close your eyes, and, and we would just pray these prayers. And uh, just three statements. It's just the first one. Wherever you're at, uh, if, you're, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, but how much of you will he get? And so this is what that prayer might sound like today and tomorrow and the day after, is just, Come, Holy Spirit. Just say, come, Holy Spirit. And as he, as he takes hold and captive of your attention, he is powerful and equipped to guide you to different things that he, he wants to talk to you about in different circumstances. There might be hurts or betrayals. There might be um, 
ideas he wants you to pursue. He might, you, he might tell you to rest while the world's telling you to work harder. He might tell you to work harder while the world's telling you to rest. I don't know, but we need him to guide us. And so that's that first prayer. Just say, come Holy Spirit. I'm here. I'm showing up. I'm bringing all of me. I want to be honest with you. I want to be honest with you and forthright with you, and I want to give you my whole life. And that second prayer, you just say this. You say, lead me to the truth. Because the truth has a capital T to it. The truth is a person. And lawyers can bend the facts the way they want to form the truth, but the truth is only saying one thing at a time. And so there's a truth down there, a truth to trust, a truth that tells you to go and talk to your mom, a truth that tells you who you are, a truth that tells you why you would do what you would do, a truth that would gird you in in an anchorless world where there's so much unwisdom that's going on. He would would lead you to truth. He is not incapable of doing that. And we do so much that would get saved, so much energy and problems if we would just be led to the truth. Holy Spirit, come. Lead us to the truth. And finally, this last prayer, maybe just pray it. Just fill me up, Holy Spirit. I need your power. I need your presence. I don't need better ideas. I need your strength. And so in the dead places, would you let them come alive? I've seen what you've done in Genesis. I've seen what you've done in Exodus. I've seen what you've done in Jesus' life. Spirit, I know you can make a dead thing come to life in me. I know you can make a dry thing refreshed. Holy Spirit, I need you for today because it's not just hard, it's impossible. And I need your spirit. Fill me up. And if I'm filled, overflow. Spirit, I know that none of my wisdom and works and effort really does anything on this earth. And we'd all be tohu vavohu. We'd all be formless and void without your presence. And so, Spirit, I need you to fill me and overflow. And so wherever you are, um, I just invite you to continue in that prayer as you worship and as you respond. And just as the words hit the screen, maybe you just allow the Spirit to bounce certain things off you and, and illuminate certain things. But we need this. And this is what's commanded and what's endorsed and what's invited. And it's not, it's not a, um, an elective course. It is an essential thing. And so anyways, we just need you to fill us, Lord. Speak to us and, uh, and work on us as we sing. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.